Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, episode 104. Alchemists, I'm Marie Billado. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we dive into it, exploring what works and what doesn't, trying to transform the raw idea into literary gold. Literary gold indeed, yes. Yes, the gold standard of the round table. We hold it high. We wave it like a rebel flag. Uh, and, and Marie, I can think of no one better to stand by my side as we uh, uh, engage in this noble, noble pursuit than yourself. Uh, it's deli- We had a blast in the 20 minutes with a week ago. Um, I'm seriously pumped about some brainstorming with you, ma'am. Thank you. I cannot wait. This is going to be exciting. <laughs> it is. It, it's already exciting. I'm already all a Twitter and giddy. Uh, uh, so let's let's keep the excitement and the giddiness high and, and invite our guest host back to the chair. Dear friends, coming from a fabulous 20 minutes with of, of many writerly insights and, and honestly some life insights as well, uh, uh, please welcome back Fran Wild. Fran, the 20 minutes with was a genuine delight. Thank you so much for that. But I got to say, I'm totally pumped at the prospect of brainstorming a story with someone like yourself who has exposed many times her own delight in the brainstorming process. So thank you so much for making the time. Yeah, this is going to be great. I agree. I agree. I, in fact, I, I'm a bit of a prescient. I can look into the future. Yes, yes, it's going to be fabulous. Holy crap. Uh, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. But before we do that, I'm curious. Uh, uh, Fran, you have three universes out there, the bone, the moon, and the gem, uh, each of them with short stories and novels and novellas evolving in various narratives. Uh, you have a diverse background of, of interests, uh, skills, and talents. I, I, I'm always intrigued by, by people like yourself with those multitude of disciplines when I ask the question, what's coming up in the world of Fran Wild? Well, the big thing coming up is September. Uh, the paperback of Updraft is going to be released with a brand new cover and it's gorgeous. Oh, wow. A new cover. Um, Very cool. Yeah. Tommy Arnold did this most amazing job on the covers. Excellent. Um, and then Cloudbound, that's all in the run-up to Cloudbound's release on September 27th. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am super excited about that. I can't wait to get this book out into the world. It's it's actually a companion book because it's told from a different point of view. Really? Uh, so it, yeah. d- does it pick up the narrative or is it, it a... It, it picks up um, sort of the train of the narrative, but we get to see characters from the outside that we've only seen from the inside, and lots of uh, lots of different perspectives on the world. I think that's a bold uh, choice, and and it was a lot of fun to write, and I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited to see what happens with it because it 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 is. Um, I loved writing Kirit, but Kirit is just one of the characters in this world. And I've, I've always sort of talked about how um, I really enjoy seeing the different characters in different periods. Um, some of the short stories that are written in this world have been at different points in the, the world's progression and have had no bearing on the story of Updraft, um, this, the short story that's at BCS, um, mm-hmm. Bent the Wing, Dark the Cloud, is set the generation before 
uh, and you sort of you see um, the evolution of a wingmaker, and you you get a glimpse of some of the characters who are going to come in 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 updraft, but they're they're much younger, uh, and that was really really fun to do. And, and uh, are you setting Cloudbound advance in time as well, or is it it's picking not, up? It's it's picking up about six uh, relative months later. It's not it's not that easy. Okay. But it's, right. You know, a, six months to a year, um, okay. and so things have happened. Stuff has has continued to do its thing, and uh, I don't want to tell you who the narrator is because if you haven't read Updraft, it's a spoiler. <laughs> but, <laughs> none of that. None of no. that. I just met um, and talked with the narrator for the audiobook, and their voice is stunning. So I'm really excited. It's a new narrator. It's it's going to be a whole new, a whole new adventure. That's marvelous, and so, it's available for for pre order, right? It is available for pre order from all of the major online retailers: Barnes and Noble, Amazon, um, Indie Books has lots and lots of links. And if you want something personalized, there are two ways to go about this. I am having a pre-order campaign where you can send me a receipt for the book. Um, There are instructions up on my blog and my website for how to go about this. And I will send you a book plate that is actually a bit of a map and maybe a little bit something more uh, that is signed and dedicated. But you can also order the book from um, one of the local bookstores that I'm I'm partnering with. Um, The closest one to me right now is Main Point Books in Bryn Mawr. And Main Point Books... It will um, put all the orders together, and I will sign and personalize them, and then they will send them out to you. So you can go online to Main Point Books and look up the Fran Wild page, and you can order anything you want from them, and they will they will do this. That's Bryn Mawr, really- PA, right? Yeah. Just, yeah. just, just for those like, people in Oregon that have maybe heard of Bryn Mawr but don't know quite where it is. You don't have to be in Bryn Mawr. You can, you can use the internet. To ah, the internet. I've heard of this wonderful thing. <laughs> and and fantastic and I'm all for them. Um, the other thing that is available now is the novella out from Tor.com Publishing, The Jewel in Her Lapidary, right. which is set in the gem world. And that um, has been a lot of fun. It is it is a, a facet of a, a bunch of different stories that I'm telling in that world. Some are short stories, some will be novellas. A facet? I see what you did there. <laughs> Very nice. Jewel, facet, got it. Uh, that is also available. You can you can get that online. You can get that at Amazon. Um, you can get it for your Kindle or for in, in this beautiful um, paperback book that also has a Tommy Arnold uh, cover on it, which is just stunning. So, well, there's a lot that's out and a lot that's imminent. Is there anything on the horizon? you can share about what's coming up what projects you got in the works i currently am working on the third book um so that should be finished and, and ready to roll for next year fans of and, the blue bone universe will be delighted to hear that yes and um i have a couple of events coming up this summer i'll be at reader con starting tomorrow awesome. in Boston. I will be uh, at uh, Worldcon in kansas city and at world fantasy in Columbus, Ohio. Outstanding. Um, I'll see you at Worldcon. Yeah. And in in between all of that, I will hopefully do some other things, um, readings and things. And definitely around uh, early and late September, October, I have some stuff planned that I can't talk about yet, but I'm very excited about stuff. (laughs) So um, if you want to stay up on all the latest news, there is um, a very intermittent and poorly organized secret message machine newsletter that you can subscribe to that goes out whenever I feel like it. It doesn't spam your inbox. 
Um, and it just has, you know, where I'll be in the next couple of months and what is happening. And if there's any news, like, um, the jewel in her lapidary just got a recommended, uh, from Locus. So that was really exciting. And that'll that'll definitely go out in the newsletter. And and where can our fans utilize their internet muscles and, and sign up for this newsletter? You go to franwild.net. Easy enough. And, and that's F-R-A-N-W-I-L-D-E. Uh, and sc- scroll down to the handy navigational tool under contact. It says Secret Message Machine Archive. And there should be a link from that to um, subscribing to the newsletter. And then it will be delivered right to your inbox. But you can also, you know, bounce around the website. And there's there's lots of stuff on there. There's oh, friends do. stories to do. read. Yes, there's, there's <laughs> cooking the books is up yeah. there. Oh, my oh. God. So many cooking the books. <laughs> so much good content. Seriously. And we've got some great interviews coming up on cooking the books too, which is lots of fun. I'm going to have Nisi Shaw. Um, wow. I've got Chuck Wendig, Ken Liu's coming back. We have um, just so many. I just did one with Emma Newman that was absolutely fantastic. That's awesome. Fran, I will make sure all of that stuff gets into the liner notes for this episode so our listeners can follow all of that goodness. Marie, what's coming up for you? I know it's only been a few weeks since we heard from you on this topic, but uh, uh, what's coming up in the world of Marie Bilodeau? My next release is actually coming out this fall, and it's super exciting because it's not in English. Oh, really? (laughs) It's not. So some of you might be aware, although I don't have much of an accent that I'm not. French is my first language. I'm French Canadian. And uh, I I write in English, though, because I learned fantasy literature through English and and all of that good stuff. So I have my vocabulary there. So none of my family's ever read any of my books. um, Because (laughs) they have no, they try. And then they pick one sentence out of the first chapter. They all analyze it to death. And then they call me. (laughs) And they talk to me about one sentence. (laughs) It's adorable. But, you know, you can tell they didn't quite get it. So a French uh, Quebecois publisher, uh, Les Editions Alire, actually picked up one of my children. Trilogies, uh, the Destiny trilogy, right, and which is like space opera, cool fun with a florist in space. Because why wouldn't you want a flower shop in space? And <laughs> and uh, she uh, and they picked it up, and the first one came out in. Uh, La San Mirial, Destiny's Blood, came out in fall, in Voyant in spring. So now I'm my French coming out. And then uh, <laughs> the second one, La Chute de Mirial, is coming out in fall. So I'm super excited about that. The first cover was done by Grigory Framato. He does works for like Assassin's Creed and stuff like that. Yeah. Super cool artist. And I can't wait to see the second cover. I should get it about two minutes before it's posted on social media, which is totally cool. (laughs) That's one of my big things coming up that I'm super excited about. That's fabulous. That's incredibly exciting. Absolutely. Except when your family can read you, you get a little bit nervous because like I made books into this journey, right? And now they're just starting to read. Yeah. No, there's going to be some interesting conversations around the Bilodeau dinner table uh, come the holidays, I think. Uh, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. What about uh, conventions? Any conventions on your schedule? I do. I have one coming up just shortly uh, on uh, July 23rd to 24th. I'm only there on the Saturday at the Limestone Genre Expo Ooh. in Kingston, Ontario. So that should be a lot of fun. It's a small con. It's just its second year, but it's really quality programming. So check it out if you're in the area. And I'm going to be also at CanCon. CanCon is in Ottawa, Ontario. That's September 9th to 11th. It is um, my local hometown. It is a good con. Uh, lots of great guests of honor this year. Uh, Sheila Williams from Asimov's is going to be there. Oh, wow. 
I know. Isn't she great? She's wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, so it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be really worthwhile checking out. Tanya Huff is the guest of honor as well for the author mm-hmm. side, uh, and we have Sam Morgan from uh, Jabberwocky Agency as the agent guest of honor, and Eric Choi as the uh, science guest of honor. Uh, so it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna and I'm be a rocking time. Guest. Oh, it is, and it's small, so you get a lot of one-on-one time with everyone. That's it's outstanding. It's only about 350, 400 people. You know, there's still that very personal connection. Outstanding. Outstanding. God, Canada's rocking it out there. I'm, I'm seriously contemplating an extended visit. We uh, are rocking it. Just don't necessarily come in the middle of winter. No, hell no. <laughs> that ain't happening. <laughs> I'm down here in Tennessee. I'm not, I'm not equipped for a Canadian winter. That ain't happening. So, well, Marie, I will make sure that gets in the liner notes too. Our, our listeners are going to have lots of clicky click to make with, uh, uh, to follow all the awesomeness that both of you are engaged in. That's, that's just outstanding. Right now, here's what I'd like to do. I'd, I'd like to take a brief pause uh, and give some podcast airtime to a to a cool Kickstarter or another podcast or, or a, a book promo. There, there's so much fabulosity uh, enacting itself in the world. Um, but uh, when we come back, Fran, Marie, I would love to brainstorm a story with you. What do you say? Sounds great. Yeah. Bring it. Uh, yep, I think we're. I think we have an agreement here, friends. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. Hi, I'm Mike White, and I'm Rob St. Mary, and we're the hosts of the Projection Booth podcast. If you haven't heard of the Projection Booth, that's okay. But we think it's time that you have. We've been doing this for over three years now, and we think we're doing a pretty good show. Every week, we look at a different film and put it in context. We try to bring you interviews with the people behind the films or experts on a subject matter covered in the film. We don't specialize in any one particular genre or type of film. We try to examine every aspect of cinema from every corner of the globe. Even at three years, we barely just scratched the surface. But we're ready. We're ready for you to listen to us. That's right. Now's the time to give us a shot. Download us through our free smartphone app. Or through Stitcher, iTunes, Geek Juice Radio, Jackalow. Or our website. Projection-booth.com. We'll keep making great shows. Now it's your turn to listen to them. Welcome back to your friends, and now we get down to the business at hand. The reason why you're here, and the reason why we're here. The story brainstorm. And this does not happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding boldly forward to set the table for our brainstorming feast. And dear friends, our guest writer for this episode is a graduate from the prestigious Stone Coast with an MFA in creative writing and DePaul University with a BFA in playwriting and English literature. She began her writing career as a playwright in Chicago, where her scripts were performed at Chicago Dramatists, ATC, and Rites of Spring. Her one act, A Speech for Thomas Hawkins, won her the Zach Helm Playwriting Scholarship in 2007. She has written short stories and a YA novel under another name, which culminated in a nomination for One Book, One Nebraska. She also contributed to the steampunk Shakespeare anthology edited by Jamie Goh, and was a panelist at ICFA, where she spoke on alternate history in science fiction, which would have been a freaking awesome talk. This fall, she was chosen as an artist-in-residence at the Kimmel Harding Nelson Center for the Arts. Uh, she is also a regular contributor at the MFA Years, where you can read all her weird posts about being a weird science fiction writer in a mostly literary arena. And sister, preach it right on. Uh, when she's not writing, she works as an actor 
actress and teaching artist, educating children with the magic of storytelling. When she's not doing absolutely anything of importance, she's eating pizza and binge-watching Disney movies with her husband and new puppy. Dear friends, please welcome to the slightly less comfortable guest writer's chair here at the roundtable, Jen Dawson. Jen Respect. Clearly, you've been doing this for a while, both for for stage and for the literary set. Uh, So this is probably not your first brainstorming session, but it's never easy to offer up your baby for scrutiny. Uh, So so hats off and much respect for your for your courage and your willingness to, to play the game, as it were. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm intrigued by your dual background. Uh, Of course, I'm a theater nerd uh, from way back with a theater degree. So when I hear playwright, uh, and obviously uh, an accomplished playwright as well, uh, is that something that you're continuing? Is, Is that a parallel in your career? Not right now, but hopefully in the next year. I've been kind of neck deep in novel writing in the world of steampunk and science fiction short stories and all that fun stuff. So uh, that's what I've been focusing <laughs> on. It's kind of consuming, years. isn't it? It just kind of <laughs> yes. grabs you by the lapels and says, you will stay here for a while. <laughs> I understand completely. Understand completely. Well, let, let's dive into this then. Let's let's hear your story pitch, which is why you're here. You know how this works, Jen. We give you five to eight minutes. Uh, uh, give us the title, the genre, your intended audience. Give us a hook line. Uh, uh, give us any themes that you might be working in the story. Uh, introduce us to the world and the characters. Give us the basic tent poles of the story we're working with, and we will dive into a froth of a brainstorm. Uh, I'm pretty much done talking at this point. Jen, the mic is all yours, ma'am. Title. This story is titled Ghosts. It's a speculative short story for a mature audience. Hook line. A young psychic girl has grown up in a world that is starting to accept the fact that there are ghosts, but there are still people who don't believe and are aggressively opposed. People like her mother. Themes. This is a story about two specific themes. It's definitely about forbidden identity, the erasure of certain communities in our culture, and the courage to live honestly. But it is also about grief and loss and the relationships we still carry between us after someone has died. The world. The story is set in a world exactly like ours, except instead of chalking up paranormal activity to coincidence or hocus pocus, it is widely accepted that there is an afterlife and people can come back after death. This acceptance has allowed more spirits to return and try to communicate. Some people can see ghosts clearly, and others can't see a thing. This has caused a division in some parts of the United States. Like anything, there are pockets of liberal thinkers who don't bat an eye when they see someone speaking to an invisible spirit, and there are also places where talented ghost seers can be fired for bringing their insanity or occultist or anti-religious behavior to the workplace. For example, New York City is mostly ghost-friendly, whereas somewhere like rural Missouri isn't. Our main character, Molly, lives in both settings. She grows up in a predominantly conservative household, moves to New York City, and then eventually makes her way back to Missouri. The way ghosts work in this world is as the overlap in the Venn diagram of this life and afterlife. There are different sorts of ghosts. First, there are echoes, just imprints of things that have happened before, like crayon stains on the walls or old sun-bleached shadows when you remove a frame. 
Then there are cognizant spirits who are either stuck because of unfinished business or they are guarding slash protecting slash washing over a loved one in our living world. Usually spirits move along unless their business continues to be unfinished. Dead people come back the day after their funeral and they usually leave within three years. If a ghost stays around longer than that, it's on purpose and the ordeal is usually very painful. The implications of ghosts existing are the acceptance of an afterlife and the unknown of the happiness of that afterlife. Living people can feel very small when they realize there's more than what they've been seeing. Maybe living people weren't supposed to see them. Maybe we were. The characters. The protagonist of the story is Molly. She is talented at seeing spirits. Sometimes they come to her as clearly as a live person. Most of the time, her skills are so strong that there is no way she can drown out the overload of activity around her. It is an irremovable piece of her experience. She wants to live freely as a ghost seer. She fears being rejected, and she doesn't know how to lie about what she sees. Molly is a child at the beginning of the story and an adult by the end. Molly is sarcastic, quick-witted, and has a dark sense of humor. A supporting character is Laura. Laura is Molly's wife and first love. Laura is funny and quirky. Laura can't really see any ghosts, but she loves that Molly can. Laura can be easily frustrated, and that grows after her death. Laura wants Molly to be true to herself, and she wants to matter in Molly's life. She begins the story as a happy, alive 20-something, and ends the story as a very dead ghost, stuck in her 20-somethings, while Molly moves on and tries to erase her. David is Molly's husband and second spouse, years after Laura's death. David can sort of see ghosts. His little brother died at the age of three and has followed him around since then. David shares Molly's dark sense of humor when he remarks that his brother doesn't do any haunting that would be of any help. He makes a joke that his brother tries to use the excuse that he's only three and so he can't do the dishes. He can only break them. But David <laughs> says he's been three for 30 years and he should pitch in once in a while. <laughs> David is also a child of the Midwest, living in New York, and he wants to move back home. He's afraid of failing or being seen as different. The antagonist is Molly's mother, Suzanne. Suzanne has absolutely no talent in seeing spirits. Suzanne doesn't understand her daughter's perspective, and she fears for her daughter's safety. She also has a sharp tongue and has a hard time dealing with her worry. Suzanne dies early in the story. The story. Molly begins her story as a little girl in a small Missouri town. Molly can't turn off her talents of seeing ghosts, and she sees a lot of them, including a little boy who was in her class. They make horrible jokes to each other, most of which the little boy's mother doesn't find amusing when Molly repeats them to her. Her mother, Suzanne, discourages Molly from ghosts and refuses to come back after she's dead. This is a blow to Molly because most mothers come back for a little while at least. When Suzanne dies, she leaves Molly nothing not even a butterfly. When Molly's grandmother dies and returns with a triumphant huzzah, Molly is nonplussed and asks if her grandmother had the decency to bring her mother back with her. Molly eventually leaves for New York. She has internalized the fear and rejection her mother and Missouri town offered her for 18 years. But in New York, people talk idly to ghosts. Ghosts are a part of life. In her mixed grief and excitement, she meets Laura, another student at her university. Laura and Molly hit it off. Soon, Laura and Molly fall in love. Then Laura and Molly get married. Then Laura gets in a subway accident and unexpectedly dies. The next morning, Laura is sitting in their living room, waiting for Molly to find her. 
They live a good life together, but Molly grows up and Laura is in stasis. Sometimes Laura cries at night, asking anyone to help her. Then Molly finds David, and David wants to move back home to Missouri. Molly follows David. Laura follows Molly. Missouri poses some old conflicts. Molly works as a teacher in an elementary school. David has a high-profile job in the government. David begs her to keep mom about her ghost talents, and it makes Molly curl deeper, deeper inside herself. At David's workplace Christmas party, his co-workers start hateful rhetoric against the queer community, and Molly says nothing. Laura, in response, smashes the entire liquor selection behind the bar. At Molly's workplace during parent-teacher conferences, Molly accidentally addresses a dead parent of one of the students. She is questioned by the principal, where she denies everything. Laura is again not pleased. The third act is still up in the air. I want to make a disclaimer that I'm one of those writers that is totally fine with scrapping hundreds of pages and leaving a nugget <laughs> to work with. So if we today want to talk about the ending, the beginning, the middle, the whole thing, I don't care. I like my overall world and characters, but the plot can change. Okay. Excellent. Great pitch. There's some there's some story food here, Jen. What, what are you hoping to get out of the next eh, half hour, 45 minutes of brainstorming? I guess that I would like to figure out what exactly I want to do with this story. Because <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea, but sometimes it takes me a little bit um, to think about what to do with my speculation. So Sure. Okay. Well, I can guarantee you that you're going to have at least three uh, probably very diverse opinions uh, about the possibilities of where you can run with, uh, with this very cool foundation. I think we've got a very good start here. Um, we're going to dive into that in a second, but before we do, we really, really, especially in this case, need to cover our ass. Uh, Marie, would you be so kind as to offer up the patented Roundtable podcast disclaimer, please? Of course, of course. Thank you. Now, Jen, you're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's important that you realize that everything said from this point forward by myself, by Dave, or by friend might be complete and utter bullshit. <laughs> this is your story, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. Is that clear? Oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. She's, she's good with that. She's good with that. Awesome. Very cool. As is covered, we may proceed. And we always lead in with a quick once around the table, a quick high-level uh, observation, uh, first impressions of the pitch itself, uh, and any questions of clarification that we might have had uh, pop up during the, the delivery of the pitch. We always start with our guest host. So, Fran Wild, start us off, ma'am. What was your first impression of Jen's pitch? And, and what questions of clarification do you have? I have a couple. One is, Jen, do you have an elevator pitch or some uh, brief pitch that's you know, a couple sentences long? Um, we come, came up with a hook line. Uh, okay. So that's, that's the thing that, which is close to an elevator pitch. Do you want me to repeat yeah. it? Okay. Um, yeah, I, because I got, I got really swept up with the characters and the ideas, and I just want to go back to the core. Um, the hook line is, a young psychic girl has grown up in a world that is starting to accept the fact that there are ghosts, but there are still people who don't believe and are aggressively opposed, people like her mother. Okay. So what I remembered that, and I wanted to hear it again just to, to make sure. Um, there are two shifts in what you told us when you, when you gave us the larger pitch from that cut line, which 
in in the beginning the mother being the the opposite the opposing force when you kill her off early and she doesn't come back you don't have a real antagonist anymore so you sort of lost that focus and it becomes um you need you need maybe a secondary antagonist or you need something larger or you need to think about whether you really do want her out of the picture because you've lost that sort of energizing force and the conflict engine that that an antagonist brings it's an excellent point um the other thing is that you say that the world is starting to accept ghosts um, I didn't see any reason for them not to, except for culturally. And that in and of itself might be something good to explore historically um, as sort of whether there is some sort of taboo or a really good reason why it would be very bad in this world to see ghosts. Maybe it's happened before and, and something terrible has happened in, in relation to that. Something like that that would give much more of a stigma to people who can see ghosts would would sort of shore up the the underpinnings of the world and and make the conflict heighten again. That's a uh, good point. If if you reduced the number of people that could see ghosts, mm-hmm. but made it incontrovertible that they were actually seeing ghosts, there's there's no question about that. Then you get this opportunity for for a very clear line being drawn. Culturally, societally, uh, you know, prejudice, what have you, religious, uh, a lot of different uh, flashpoints could be instilled by doing that. I like the fear that you can draw from, um, you know, if this ghost is sticking around more than three years, something terrible is going to happen. That sort of sets a nice clock yeah. for, um, for, you know, Im- impending doom. Um, it does make your narrative need to span large chunks of time. But... Mm-hmm. At the same time, you've got this um, one character who's been followed around by his little brother for 30 years, which is kind of um, working against that that theory. You've got a couple of other things going on with the ghosts. I love the idea that in New York, people just sort of talk to them all the time and, and they're just there. I want to know what the benefits are to the New Yorkers. Um, and it does seem that you're pitching big city against small town, and it's a very American story. So I'm curious about what other parts of the world would would be impacted by this, because I don't sense that there's, forgive me, a wall around the country yet. So there might be some cross pollination with other cultures mm-hmm. that you might want to explore, because other cultures have have interesting relationships to ghosts in oh my god yes oh that's yeah no kidding holy smokes god but, paris paris alone would yeah. be would be amazing but the the actual descent into the midwest and the need to hide and cover up i didn't feel why yet i didn't feel that danger of mm-hmm. you know being back and being be, and and both of them being able to see ghosts and i wanted to if 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 you are going to have another antagonist or you know someone else from the family maybe who is as strident about not seeing ghosts and they have a darn good reason for it uh, that would be a good time to bring them back in and and you could you know it could be that there was violence that that that, you know someone was killed there were lynchings uh, uh, at some point when someone, you know, so vehemently was, or, or institutionalizations, uh, mm-hmm. a, a, a habit or, or a tendency on the part of that part of the, the, the country or even that town to have a very violent 
reaction to those people back in the day uh, that may have mellowed somewhat, but the echoes still linger, something like that. Mm-hmm. One of the, the big questions I have for you is what do your main characters have to lose? Mm-hmm. And how many times can you take it away from them? <laughs> <laughs> But also, I mean, just the big thing is, what are they most afraid of losing? Um, Any ideas, Jen? Any thoughts on that? Um, I think that for Laura, it's definitely Molly, especially since she's remarried and she's trying to get rid of that part of her identity. Um, and for Molly, I think it's being found out and what that will mean. What does um, that mean? Well, I like the idea that I think that there needs to be some like something that happens earlier on that other than Suzanne just being like, oh, well, that's not that's not real, you know, and kind of shrugging it off that there does need to be a higher stake. So maybe an aunt was killed or like another sibling was killed or the father was killed or something because of this gift that, that was passed on to molly and so there's something really tangible instead of just like oh people are going to find out about me and then it's going to be bad well i could totally Um, see something like like ghost walker syndrome where you know if you if you talk to the ghosts for too long uh eventually that's all you see and you literally disconnect from the living world and you waste away and and you basically become a ghost yourself and you die because the dead become that much more compelling to you uh, uh, than the living. So a thought, a thought. Yeah. <laughs> any any other any other first uh, first impressions, Fran? That's about it. I, okay. I was struck by by the characters and by the character relationships. I think those were really great. Yes, I I agree. I agree. Marie, what about you? First thoughts and any questions for Jen? Um, well, I uh, I like the, the, definitely the richness and the idea behind the characters. Um, I did have some questions that reflected a bit what Fran already brought up, uh, brought up is one of them, how many people can see ghosts? Because from the description of New York, I get the impression a lot of people can, but then when you go south, uh, you lose that um that a bit like, do people just not see ghosts down there? Is there something different with the land? Um, so like can everybody see ghosts can half the people see ghosts um i think that nobody really knows in missouri because not everybody's going to come out and say that they can right Um, so So they could they just don't want to yeah exactly okay right okay okay that's cool um so that was uh, that was one of my little uh, clicks on it, and, and another click was uh, which Fran also mentioned a bit is uh, I wasn't sold on why she went down to Missouri. I mean, if her husband has a good job or something, it sounded like it was job related. Um, it would have to be really convincing if they're anti uh, anti lesbian in her case and anti ghost people. I mean, you're like throwing yourself into the, especially if you're going to heighten the consequences for being those things in Missouri, the reason for going there is going to have to be damn good uh, yeah. to sell the reader on it. Because it's like, what the hell are you doing? Um, as a non-American, um, looking at it from New York to Missouri, uh, it, it's to me, just from the news, and I'm not American again, uh, it's cliched to me. Uh, it it came with a lot of uh presuppositions which are probably all wrong because i only get what the media tells me which is never <laughs> completely right uh but it, it was uh, almost safe territory it's what you would expect 
you would expect New Yorkers to be talking to ghosts and you would expect people in Missouri to not be. So I, I was just wondering if maybe you could consider pushing that in a little bit of a different direction, uh, but well, you might have your own reasons. Let's unpack that a little bit. That's an, that's an excellent observation. And I, I was thinking that too, but one of the one of the benefits from a narrative standpoint is not so much going back to Missouri and a small town, mm-hmm. but going from a place of anonymity, New York City, where you can be a faceless face in the crowd, to a place where you are known. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, the, 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 as, as you say, the, it is somewhat cliched. It is easy to do that. The, the small town setting is a very easy place to amplify your exposure to the culture and community that you're in. Whereas a big city, there's anonymity, but we could explore other possibilities of how that revelation and how that discomfort of attention and knowledge could be brought out to get that same dread without necessarily walking down a, a well-traveled path. Yeah. Just a thought. Yeah, I like that. Other, other concerns or questions or, or thoughts, Marie? Uh, I just had a couple little ones. The yeah. first one is, um, you mentioned specifically that the ghosts appear the day after the funeral. So do people just not have funerals? I wouldn't. They, they still do. <laughs> But is that like a, is that like a loophole in your in your? That's just something to consider in your world building. Yeah, not everybody comes back, but that's usually when they do. If I could do. totally see there becoming a kind of almost. I mean, you look at New Orleans and the way they celebrate and 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 have parades as their as their wakes as they're parading down the street. I could see a kind of jubilation or anticipation yeah. evolving around the funeral experience because that's when the ghosts usually come back, uh, and and <laughs> seeing seeing how that how the culture changes and evolves knowing that death is not the end. That would be cool. Yeah. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I I can see a whole lot of, of, uh, family strife with if you don't do my funeral right I'm going to come back and, <laughs> <laughs> and that actually having weight and merit yes yeah. it's a legitimate threat it's not just a joke <laughs> but I think that you, you can really play with that idea of the cultural standards that we're used to would have to change in this instance absolutely absolutely yeah. Yeah, I, and and again, I think part of the charm of the story will be that very thing of, of you know, what you see, Jen, in the context of the story you're trying to tell, uh, uh, which I'm, I'm not convinced you know yet, um, <laughs> uh, to, to figure out which aspects of the culture you want to showcase in terms of how the, the revelation of the ghosts being real things uh, uh alters and changes and and people respond to that so Mm -hmm. uh what there was one other thing that you had marie uh yeah again i'm going to echo friend friend you had a lot of great plans great (laughs) points um the antagonist thing too one of the things i thought you were starting to go towards uh was a bit you had a lot of antagonistic points uh you had the mother which wasn't a full-on antagonist because she goes away you had the small town mentality mentality which was an antagonistic point or force as well uh but you had laura um and i was really fascinated with the the relationship between laura and molly and how it evolves even with david in the picture like are you picturing some kind of um even weird love triangle 
David doesn't like Laura, and Laura doesn't like David. Oh, that's not mm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like but, a little but could they? Could they? <laughs> they I, I don't think Laura would ever go for that. I mean, if it meant a lot to Molly, David might try, but <laughs> Laura's not going to do that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious, Marie, did you have any sort of narrative possibilities that could be teased out from that? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think you could use David and Laura as two different uh, counterweights or counterpoints, especially if you don't want them to get along to Molly's personality and how she views things, because you have her as at a crux for a lot of this, right? I mean, she's can see ghosts, and then she's in a place where people don't see ghosts. She had a wife, and then she's in a place where people don't marry people of the same sex. So you have her often as a crux, and I think it could be fun to have David and Laura be so different that Molly feels very pulled and feels that tension between the two of them. You, you described it a little bit when you were talking about Laura, like Molly just wanted Laura to go away, but it would be almost more interesting if Molly didn't quite want Laura to go away, even though Laura's being a bitch, difficult, hates David, like she still has those feelings for her, because then you get that extra tension. Yeah, I like it's that. It's not just yeah. annoyance. I like that. So what is, when you're a ghost, what are your wants and needs? What sustains you? What, what keeps you going? <clears throat> um, well, the way that, I, and again, like this is like a super rough draft that we're workshopping right now. But yeah. the way that it's written, no, I right think it's now. great, and I think that it's amazing that you're that you're doing this right now. I think it's awesome. Oh, thanks. Um, well, the way that it's written right now is that when you die, um, you're no longer on the on the linear like chronology of 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 how we live. Like she dies around the age of 24, and so um, when she's 24, she's 24. But when she dies, she's all of the ages that she was. She's the entirety of, of her existence, um, but she never gets to experience anything past 24. Um, so it's sort of like, I see it like at the, I'm trying to think of like an example, but like sometimes at the end of TV series or like, um, you know, like a fan video of like a, an entire character's existence, it's sort of like that all the time. Whereas Molly's still in the story and she's not, you know, like somebody compiling all of the different moments of Snape in eight Harry Potter movies. Like she's Snape in one scene. And so they really can't connect, but Laura's entire being was Molly's wife and like moving up to be Molly's wife and she really loves Molly. Um, but she's always going to be stuck in her story that was cut short. But um, uh, let me let me just interject real quick, Jen. Um, but the ghosts are interacting with living people, right? Yes. They're having conversations. Yes. So uh, do they retain the memory of those conversations? So the next time Molly talks to Laura, they can pick up an argument they had the last time they talked? Yeah. So they do exist. They do have experiences and grow and live beyond their death point. They may not age per se, but they are getting additional experiences and evolving thoughts and decisions about them moving forward, don't they? Yeah, I guess that I see. I'm trying to think of how to explain it. Um, so let's say that it's like you have two friends and they're watching like a Netflix show. And, um, so Molly and Laura both watch season one and they're talking about the characters in season one. And then Laura, like, for some reason, can't keep watching season two through four. 
and Molly gets all the way to season four and like they're still living in the same space and Molly will like talk to her about what's going on in season four but like Laura didn't sit there and didn't watch it and didn't experience it so her maturing through that time isn't exactly the same as Molly's that's I, I kind of feel what you're saying. Um, I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on that as a, a choice. That choice should be made based on the type of relationships and the, and, and the type of story that you want to tell, I think. Okay. Um, I'm, and I might be, you know, does everybody else get that? And I'm just being dense or does it seem like a, a very ephemeral context for a relationship that is going to be sustained throughout the whole book? Yeah, that's true. So that's yeah. the, anyway, I'm, and I, I digress. We might be getting a bit in the weeds here. Marie, was there anything else for your first thoughts? Uh, no, my first thoughts are all covered. Thank you. Excellent. Very good. Um, I got to say, Jen, I, I love this. This is such a delicious, very intimate story uh you're dealing it's a wonderful contrast the dead the ghosts are real and and the afterlife is real that's huge but the story that you're telling is so intimate and personal and i i really that appeals to me on on a on a reader level uh the fact that these big things can be happening but by focusing and grounding your story in a a much more intimate relationship between molly and and a very few people uh that's a wonderful thing that also goes completely against every instinct i have as a storyteller where i live on the big picture with the dramatic thing and the epic scope and the blah 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 so i this is going to be a real challenge for me to try and honor this foundation that you have laid down um but i do like i really got a strong uh what was it the time traveler's wife uh, uh, feel ah. to it you know it's like you know the technology it didn't matter the science behind the time travel we didn't figure that out or we didn't need to and honestly I'm not sure you need to explain how the dead work and how the ghosts work and blah 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 uh, I, I think you know again because the, the I think that what's going to sell the story is the characters uh, that that's where that's where the hook that and the, and the conflict that, that Fran invoked initially that's sh- that's where that should live. I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm 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 still working through that. I did have a. Couple I want to of- know a little bit about how the ghosts work, just so that there is a standard, so that they're not you know reinventing the rules, mm-hmm. uh, so that they they behave. Whatever is involved with keeping them here or, or bringing them back or whatever they're doing. And the consequences. Them, yeah, of, and yeah. the consequences to okay. them staying. And also, you know, the consequences to being able to see them can be internal as well as external. Yeah. Uh, but I think I'd really like to know concretely what what the, maybe not, I don't need to know the physics of it, I don't need a schematic, but I would love to see um, sort of, this is generally what we know about how they behave and, and why they come back. Well, and because- that's a good point because the first question anybody's going to ask a dead person is, what's it like? Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know? And if this is the norm for the society, then they probably have started to study it, even sure. though it's, you know, something that, that isn't very popular and probably could lose you your tenure at your university. I'm sure somebody's wanted to study it. Considering we study shoe trends, I'm sure we would study that. <laughs> well, and that you know that could be David's work. Ooh. That could be David's work is research into that. 
and and you know that would allow then <clears throat> in a narrative context uh, uh, a deeper exploration without a lot of info dumping uh, uh, you know you've got somebody in there who's actually exploring that aspect of the world which is why Molly is so fascinating to him and could actually be a source of conflict in their relationship uh, where Molly questions you know are you interested in me as a person or as a ghost seer uh, and and raise those questions as well. I don't know. I just it's just spitballing. It's brainstorm. Could be bullshit. Um. I think when you talk about um, just the 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 larger conflict, so you've brought that up a couple of times. You talked about the big arc. Uh, one of the things that kept coming to mind was uh, the first X Men movie, where a lot of the initial struggle is family struggles, and how do you tell your family that you're a mutant and how do they react and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. But the bigger struggle is the, the, the impact of this emergence of these, these people and this knowledge on the community right. and how the community reacts. So it's, it's mirrored, the small battle is mirrored in the larger scope. And, okay, and like there's, there's also, uh, thinking back to the time traveler's wife, there's also a mystery that needs to be resolved. Uh, uh, which which serves as kind of a, a framework against which these personal relationships that are th- that's the real draw for the story, but it also provides an impetus for the protagonist to pursue something tangible uh, uh, and a, a desire to understand and explore something or or solve a mystery or avoid a, a cataclysm that has been foretold, uh, which again, it goes into the epic fantasy thing. Um, but, but some sort of thing that's set in, you know, chapter one that won't actually be resolved except through the protagonist's actions in the last chapter of the book. Right. What are the truths that the dead know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what are they, maybe they're all hiding something, you know, and, that'd be cool. And, and then, you know, what is it that they're hiding and that needs to come out at the end. Uh, and, yeah. you know, and, and maybe only the ghosts that linger for a long time know that secret and it's a whole, and that's the horrible burden they must bear. I don't know. And that could be the interesting crux to just playing off of that for fun. That um, Laura could be lingering around long enough that she starts to know what they know, Ooh. and she might try to spread the or, or just tell Molly, but Molly's not listening because she's mad at her at that point, or whatever it is. Like that's where you could bring in some of the tension, just playing off of what Dave said. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah. I do have a question. Uh, I understand culturally that New York is ghost friendly and you know, rural Missouri isn't. Is there a regional uh, uh, concentration of ghost seers? Are there more, not where they gravitate to because they're accepted, but has anybody done any studies that, you know, the, the, the West Coast tends to manifest more ghost seers than, you know, the Southwest or something like that? Um, they're spread out everywhere. Okay, um, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> that, that makes and I kind of like that actually. That that kind of makes it a human thing, not a cultural thing, uh, and it's a unifying factor, which is kind of cool. Which then also calls into question, you know, why can't I see ghosts if I really, really want to? Uh, uh, and and we can explore that too. Um, when Lo- Molly meets Laura, she's she's studying at university. Yes. Mm-hmm. What's she yeah. studying? Uh, she's studying literature. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, why? Because she is an English nerd. I mean, she is into stories and 
mostly because I just got done writing a really long novel where the protagonist was a was an inventor, and I was like, you know what? I spread my wings, and now, <laughs> now I'm going to do what I know for like five seconds. Okay, <laughs> I, I I think then uh, uh, you know let, let we can riff on that story nerd aspect, but I think we need to understand why. Uh, yeah. Molly is so captivated by story and narrative and God forbid we've got enough people on this call that can probably speak to what that draw might be um, <laughs> but uh, uh, putting it again in the context of the story um, but those are all I really had as far as questions go I, I and in just speaking to the uh, uh, notion of what is this story about uh, you know, as you're telling your pitch, uh, you you there was that moment in the party when something bad happened, and I I was convinced at that moment that it was going to be you know anti ghost rhetoric, mm-hmm. uh, and it was anti queer culture rhetoric, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought that's right. You know, Molly and Laura uh, were married, and then she married David, so there's that aspect to it. It, it called into question, not question, but it, it highlighted the fact that thematically, uh, uh, if the, the the challenges of uh, queer culture are going to be a theme, uh, and again, you know, the whole forbidden identity aspect, I think that's that's very relevant and and a potent theme to latch onto. It need, I think, drawing those parallels very clearly. Uh, uh, and finding multiple instances, not just this one party, but having other instances where Laura and Molly are confronted with intolerance of some kind. Uh, uh, and and Molly and David, uh, uh, maybe Molly's friends uh, from from the uh, from that aspect of culture resent the fact that that she uh, uh, went with David and and isn't honoring Laura uh, mm-hmm. with her sexuality. I, and again, I, I might be speaking completely out my ass because I am not uh, uh, savvy into the nuances of that culture. But having that perpet- having that perpetuated, having the presence of both of those cultural phenomena, the queer culture and the ghost seer culture, work in parallel and then deciding what you're going to say about both of those, uh, both the parallels and the contrast, I think that'll give you some stronger footing to stand on moving forward. Yeah, uh, and that's, that's the problem that I've been having. Um like with the end is because I, I wrote an ending and it was super heavy handed. And as soon as I got to, (laughs) as soon as I got to the scene with the parent teacher conferences, I was like, okay, this is going to be a really great third act, or this is going to be a really heavy handed third act. And it ended up being a super heavy handed third act. So yeah, so that's definitely something that's important um, to the story. And I think is, is, part of the heart of the story. Um, but I don't know how to stick the landing, I guess. Okay. Well, and, and again, I think once you know what you want to say, uh, mm-hmm. sticking the landing will be a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, cause you know, you know what the, what the punchline is as it were. Um, and, and clearly we've been brainstorming this through our, our quick once around the table. That was not a quick once around the table. And that's cool. That's that we're totally freeform for that. But, Fran, where where do you want to dive in uh, as with the time that we have left to us? Uh, where do you want to focus our attentions where you think they'll do the most good for, for Jen's story? I think uh, rather than worrying about the ending, I think figuring out what your tensions are and what um, what the the actual larger antagonistic problem is. 
yeah. for your story is because that's going to help you feed the the ending eventually. I, so I think that um, you know really weighing what um, can set your characters apart, not necessarily making them you know the only people with special powers. I think you're you're making a very good choice to to make this something that is emerging. Um, generally in lots of places but I think figuring out what um, what they're fighting for what they're fighting against is going to be a huge thing because that's going to help you with your ending yeah yeah because that implies then a progression of you know a tri-fail cycle or a progression of revelations uh, uh, and crisis points that need to be confronted and overcome to strive towards some end uh, even even if it's you know molly living happily ever after which is fine we need to understand why molly isn't living happily ever after now uh and 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 figure out what those are marie any any thoughts along those lines as far as maybe a tightening and this this is where we can play the what if game uh, uh and and really indulge our own sensibilities and and Put an idea on the table that that may or may not uh, align with Jen's vision, but at least gives us a, a point of conversation. Where would you tighten up the story? Do you have any what ifs or or what if we try this? Yeah, what ifs and this is, this is are always some of my favorites. <laughs> okay, good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'd almost be curious to just. Um, what if you dump the whole first part when she's a kid with her mom and everything? Uh, her mom dies. Uh, like, it's it's a nice piece, but to me, it didn't grab my attention at all until you got to Laura and Laura coming back and Laura being her wife and then Molly moving on. Like, to me, that grabbed me. The, the kid stuff, like, what what would happen if you, if you just dropped that, used it as some informative bits in your story? Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, and flashbacks. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. and and um, kids are boring. I'm sorry, that's my <laughs> just the word right out there, like well, little. <laughs> one of the things I did find kind of engaging about the story uh, as presented is that it is a generational thing that it literally spans a character from from youth or childhood to hope conceivably her her old age. Uh, uh, at some point and and watching those life progressions uh and and what her two warring or or aligned aspects of her existence are her queerness and her ability to see ghosts you know jumping ahead and picking maybe maybe life is just the 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 tentpole to lay this against where you Pick the crisis points of, you know, adolescence, of college, of getting a job, of, yeah. you know, and, and figuring out how in the context of ghost seeing and her sexuality, what those two aspects reflect and how they grind against each other and generate conflict in those life points moving forward and then you know it it kind of borders on literary fiction dare i invoke it uh, uh, but you know we don't necessarily need to have 
like on the whole act or something when uh, yeah there do, there doesn't need to be a, a a dark mystery that we must save the world from from the dead who will open if if someone stays for 31 years then the vaults <laughs> of hell open and blah 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 uh, that that's a very different story um and and Jen again you might want to tell that story I don't know I don't think we have enough here to really project that I'm mostly just advocating for the fact that on occasion, I enjoy just a nice tale that walks me through the stages of a person's life. As long as I like that person and want to walk through their life with them, I'm okay with that. You know? Yeah. I, I like I like how you put it, actually, because, uh, Jen, like the beginning, the little tidbits, if you put the whole beginning when she's a kid as, as an act one, I think it would be, to me, it would start to drag, but as like... Yeah. A smaller, shorter, like you had some good moments and you use some beautiful words to describe it too. So I can tell that your writing itself must be quite uh, quite beautiful. And uh, I think you would make that pop and make us care about the character too. Yeah. Fran, what do you think? And feel free to disagree. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think what you guys are saying is completely legit. I, um, I don't have that much to add. Okay. What, what about your aesthetic? What, what, where would you tighten up the story? Where would you, I mean, we, I know we've talked about finding that conflict. Yeah. What, what conflicts again, and we know it's not your story. Uh, uh, we've already disclaimered that, but if it <laughs> was, uh, hypothetically, where would you zero in? What would you be, what would you be focusing on? I, I'm, I'm right there with the mom is, is sort of the weak temple right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I love having multiple generations in stories. I think it makes them much more vital. And yet in this particular story, it feels, it doesn't feel like that's going to be a good strong driver. Okay. No, I can see that. I, there's, yeah, this is, this is a challenge. This is, this is. And again, it comes down to what do you want to say, Jen? Mm -hmm. uh, and and you know what? And you talk for a little bit. What do you want to say? What what is it about this story that has hooked you and compelled you? Well, <laughs> um, I, I feel like there are a lot of things that are happening, especially right now in the United States, when it comes to um, certain communities and more than one community. Um, where a lot of things get pushed under the rug. And um, it's really difficult to sit back and watch something happen and not be able to say anything about it. Um, and so I guess that that's where it kind of came from. Uh, I also um, I wanted to write about ghosts, and that came up at the same time. <laughs> and so I started thinking about how... Um, a lot of people don't want to go ghost hunting. A lot of people don't want to talk about ghosts. They're scared of ghosts. Um, it's something that some people really embrace and, and they, you know, go on the paranormal investigations and believe in psychics and clairvoyance and all this. And then a lot of other people like push away from it. Um, and sort of, I mean, I grew up in, in a really weird point, which was, uh, when I was a kid, you know, I was growing up in the Midwest, and if you came out as queer in high school, like, you were in danger. Like, it wasn't a safe space, and so there were a lot of people who stayed in the closet. And I remember um, I was 24 and went to New York City for the first time, and I looked out the window of the restaurant, and I saw 
um, to women holding hands and kissing and walking down the street and nobody was batting an eye. And I was like, oh, wow, that is happening in, in the real world. That's great, you know? Because I, I think that I, I think that maybe in some places people take that for granted, that that, that, that safe space exists. And we're starting to see in current events that maybe these safe spaces aren't as safe as we think they are. Okay. Um, that, so yeah. that helps. That helps actually. Cause at this point then, and, and, and let's, let's do this. We're, we're running out of time really, really quick guys. Um, but uh, let, let's, let's go into the final once around the table. Uh, and usually this is final thoughts and, and advice and suggestions, but I'd like to change it up just a little bit. Given what Jen just revealed, and I really wish I'd asked that question right at the beginning because that really <laughs> has suddenly sparked all kinds of ideas in my brain for what we could do. Um, uh, and if that's, I'm, I'm betting that's probably going to be true for the rest of you, uh, Marie and Fran as well. So for our final thing, uh, uh, as we as we exit out of the brainstorming cycle, um, what kind of ideas then, using the concept of safe space and the danger and peril and hazard of coming out uh, either as a ghost seer or uh, as queer, uh, what does what could what could Jen then do uh, to her story, uh, change, add, layer in, or whatever uh, to gra- to to amplify those things that have obviously galvanized her attention and have motivated her to the writing table. Um, I, I will offer the first round to you, Fran, but I understand I just kind of threw that on you. So if you want to take a minute, <laughs> I, I can pass it on. Um, I think in, in both cases, you've got a little bit of uh, a hard row to plow because the, in our culture, especially ghosts are, as you said, there's paranormal stuff, there's ghost tours, there's, you know, lots of different things to um, interact with in our culture. So making it strange and off-putting is going to be a bit of um, world-building work on your part. At the same time, um, while there is pushback I think that the acceptance of the queer community is, is, has, has progressed a great deal. And I think that being cautious and, and um, really working through those threads and, and not sort of surfacing them, but really going very deeply into what that means for the world and not, not othering it. And mm-hmm. I, I'm doing this kind of, sort of thinking about it while I'm talking about it, but I, I don't, I, I think this story could do a lot of really wonderful work mm-hmm. uh, if it's handled very carefully, but also with, with a sensitivity. So that's not just, um, you know, this, this is, this isn't alienability and this is a different thing that is not popular in this community. I think there's, there's a lot more layering um, that you could do. One of the things that when you said there's no one else who is queer in the community that they moved to, I'm not sure that that would be true. No, that's not true. Okay. No, I, I, I think that, that, that provides a lens of focus uh, uh, for Jen moving forward. Definitely. Marie, what about you? In the context of what Jen uh, just revealed about her focus, her touch point for the story, what, what, what's your, what's your, muse invoking <laughs> well i i think 
that if you um, there, there are definitely a lot of layers that you can play with and, and discover. I think one of the best ways to make a social message, personally, this is my own observations, is instead of ham-fisting it, if you will, or, or making it yeah. even too, you know, making it too obvious, because the problem with that is then you're only talking to the converted, because anybody else who's reading that will just go, well, like, chances are you're not going to win anyone on site if that's your main thing. Uh, I, I work a lot, <laughs> to parallel that, I, I work a lot with trying to normalize some non-traditional traits for women. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things I do it is I don't ha have women coming into schools. I'm working with, it's a brand new project, but you don't have people coming into school talking about why I became a non this trade, like a plumber, which is not traditional for women. You have them instead come in and just work with mm -hmm. the kids so that they see normalization of this role. They start to associate a gender role differently, right? I almost think that your story has beautiful echoes and parallels between ghost, uh, being a ghost watcher, a ghost seer, and, and being queer. I think that you could do it with a subtle, subtler brushstroke and use the ghost watcher as the thing that gets her condemned while not mm -hmm. hiding away from the fact that she's queer. Okay. And then you get that that parallel and that echo that is hard to ignore while not ham-fisting it and just blocking yeah. away that audience that you are trying to reach. Because I don't think you're trying to reach the converted. Uh, if you are, which is also a noble goal, make them feel like they have that safe space. They will, they will find themselves in the story because your character normalizes who they are, which is what they want to see. Like mm -hmm. they want to see themselves reflected in fiction. But if you do it too strongly that that's the thing that gets her shut out, uh, you're going to lose a whole section of what you could accomplish with such a beautiful, a beautiful message that you want to share about safe spaces, which reaches beyond the queer community even, which I think is beautiful. It reaches new Neuro, uh, neurological deficiencies, or, or uh, I don't want to use the word deficiency, but differences. Um, you know, anybody who that doesn't fit into that mold of what society sees us as we could see, you can suddenly reach out to that whole scope and spectrum. And you strike me just from your message as a very caring person. And I think that you would craft a message and layer it in such a way that would be quite striking. I agree. That's, those are my two cents worth. That's beautiful. I, and I love... That's like 20 cents worth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I kind of think it, so too. American? Because that's like five bucks Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and both both Fran and Marie have invoked some some beautiful sensibilities. Um, and... and they're, they are. They, they they layer in some exquisite things. I'm going to be somewhat ham-fisted uh, by comparison, uh, just because. Again, as I mentioned, this is this is this is new territory for me, and I like it, but I, I may not do it well. Um, I have a couple of suggestions. Uh, one, um, having ghosts come back brings up questions of death. And we talked about how funerals aren't sad things anymore, uh, uh, or maybe not as sad. But it also raises the question then that the ghosts eventually do go away. Uh, so I'm wondering if maybe making it not cool that ghosts come back, that initially it's like, wow, amazing. But then the after years of it being the case, um, people realize it's not a good thing. Uh, it hampers the healing process. It keeps people from moving on. Uh, the ghosts do eventually go away. Uh, and, and maybe the, the after effect of that is not a good thing. 
And maybe they wouldn't come back if you didn't talk to them so much. Please ignore them. Make them go away. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And there's also, you know, the ghost of the father that abused you. You know, the the ghost of the 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 bully who, who thrashed you. Uh, I mean, the death used to be an ending of torment, uh, both for the for the suffering who are dying and for the suffering who live on. Uh, and that stops happening now. Uh, and with that in mind, a couple of other uh, uh possibilities one set your story back in the late 60s early 70s yeah that'd be easier and having because then we don't have we haven't advanced quite as much in acceptance of queer culture in that time you could mm-hmm. even you know i'm thinking of the harvey milk story uh and finding uh, uh the 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 thread of historical narrative for gay rights and using that as, you know, I mean, uh, Forrest Gump used history as a backdrop for his story. You could do the same thing with this, with, you know, queer rights, gay rights as the vehicle for it. Uh, and, you know, not have her be involved necessarily, uh, although the next thing I say is going to totally fly in the face of that. Um, but, uh, you know, have her operate tangentially the way... Um, I think, Fran, you were talking about how you have journalists and nurses involved in the military engine uh, uh, have Molly be involved peripherally in the gay rights uh, uh, movement in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it just keeps coming into her life until she eventually acquiesces. Uh, not acquiesces, but but embraces the, the value of standing up. Uh, I and think, that- again, if you're going to do that, it's really, really important to respect that community and, and yeah. know your stuff. Mm-hmm, mm. yeah, Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no cultural appropriation here. Yeah. Um, the other thought that occurred to me, uh, two thoughts very quickly. Um, one, make Molly an activist, uh, uh, an activist for ghost rights, maybe, or ghost, uh, uh, ghost seer rights. Maybe the, the reaction to ghost seers is more violent uh, uh, and more uh, not accepting that, yes, pockets of New York uh, are cool with it, but those safe spaces are much smaller. Uh, don't make them as easy to acquire. Uh, make it dangerous and give Molly something to rail against and eventually stand up against and pursue her trials as she deals with that. And then using the, the, the queer sec- the, the sexuality as a, as, a, as a counterpoint to that. Um, the other thought that occurred to me just as a, a, a catalyst is as a teenager, um, Molly came out in high school. Uh, she did that thing that people shouldn't do uh, in Midwest, in small towns where intolerance is rife, and was attacked and killed her attacker accidentally. And the ghost of her attacker is the first ghost she sees. And stays, and that ghost stays with her. Not Laura, but that ghost is the constants throughout her life. Have Laura in there and have Laura's ghost and, 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 all, and her mom and all of those other elements, but have the person she killed and have the relationship between them be the point of conflict and strife. <sighs> wow. Okay. Um, that's, this, this has been a most intriguing brainstorm. Uh, I, Jen, I hope you feel like it was useful to you. Did you, did you get some value in talking points and exploration out of the conversation? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it, it, uh, <laughs> I definitely don't want to write the queer community as, as the other, I guess that, um, from where I'm coming from, um, it's a, it's a community that I consider myself a part of. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's very important to me that like what you said, um, about, I agree that, um, that queer kids want to see queer kids be kids and not like, I'm, you know, I'm a queer um, kid. No, you're yeah. a kid. And <laughs> yes. This is your thing. Yeah. And so, um, in writing the first draft every, like I, I tried to figure out how much do you put, um, signposts up that this is what you're trying to talk about and how much do you not. And I think that I, uh, when I started the story, um, it wasn't a thing. Like I was like, okay, well, it's just it's going to be ghosts, and I'm going to talk about these ideas of this, you know, bisexual character, and um, it's going to be super funny. Uh, and then uh, the last couple weeks haven't been super funny, and so <laughs> it's right. um, yeah, it's been it's been a really weird, uh, I guess, tightrope to walk, and I think that that's really important that it isn't you know, lambasted everywhere on the page. Well, and then that's a cornerstone to build on. I think it's good that you have that sensibility and that commitment. Uh, uh, And that's, you know, that's, that's one of those pieces to build your story on. Mm -hmm. Jen, here's the deal. Um, I I hope you work through this. I hope you do. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Don't give up on the story. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's, there's goodness here on many, many levels. Um, So finish it, write it, publish it and it doesn't matter whether you publish it as a pdf on your website or or a deal with a a, a massive publisher uh and and you you rocket yourself to stardom let us know when this story is out in the world seeding awareness with your unique perspectives and when you do we will bring you back and we will knight you we will make you a knight of the round table podcast are you down with that Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> I think it does, doesn't it? I think that. Uh, yeah, who does it? And a little armor, you know, a shield, maybe a flag. Yeah, we'll do all of that. That's all there. Big feast. We'll do it. We'll do it. Jen, this has been a fascinating discussion. Like I said, you pushed me out of my comfort zone uh, in in a wonderful, wonderful way, and I'm always grateful for that. Thank you so much for setting such a fabulous brainstorming feast for this episode, ma'am. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks uh, so much, everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, it was great to meet you, Jen, and thanks yeah, for sharing your work. Very thank much you. so. Very great. much so. And Fran Wild, uh, once again, you know, early on in the development of this podcast, I realized that it couldn't just be me and my co-host talking about this. We had to bring in people with literary chops, some background and experience in the story trenches to to keep the focus and raise the points that need to be raised. And you, I don't ma'am, know what you were talking about literary. I was the one that threw X Men. Totally literary. <laughs> totally literary. <laughs> the world of Stone Coast. Um, I'm <laughs> totally legit. That is a legit reference. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, so is oh, Rock was, Band. So, you know, it was wonderful to have you in this conversation, ma'am. And I'm so very grateful. Thank, thank you. Thank you. And thanks so much for asking me. This was a blast. And I'm so glad I met you at Balticon. Yeah, likewise. And thanks to Mike Underwood for introducing us, the gentleman and a scholar himself. He, uh, is, he is. He's a fine, fine books? dude. 
Yes, buy Mike Underwood's <laughs> books, buy Fran's books, buy Marie's books, buy, buy and 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 go see go see Jen's plays uh, and buy her books <laughs> yeah. as well. Absolutely, Marie Billado, my co-host uh, with the most host. Uh, this has been uh, uh, once again. I'm, I'm so glad I had you by my side as we navigated these waters. Uh, uh, thank you so much for 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 being my 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 strong right hand and a, and a wonderful brainstormer, man. This ma'am, this has been awesome. This was really great. Thank you so much for having me on again. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> I did too. I did too. Uh, and friends, uh, you know, gratitude going around, going out to you for hitting the play button. Thank you so much. You complete that cycle. You are the reason we put these out there uh, so that you can catch some inspiration, stimulate some deeper thought, explore new venues of storytelling that maybe you hadn't considered before you hit that play button. And if so, that's fabulous. If you're digging it, spread the word, friends. About it, share a Facebook post, tweet, uh, let folks know there's awesomeness happening here at the round table. And oh God, it's going to be 14 days until we do this again. And, and that's a horrible, horrible thing. Um, but, but I'll tell you what, in 14 days, like a phoenix from the ashes, we are coming back. Uh, we're going to bring another fabulous guest host pouring wisdom into our ears, another courageous guest writer laying down some badass story pitch goodness for an awesome brainstorm, more roundtable goodness to be had. 14 days long damn time. Marie, help us out. Spending 14 days, what are you going to do to make that just fly by? I think I'm going to try... Writing in a different area. That's what I'm going to try. Mm, are we talking geographically, culturally, personally? Geographically, I'm going to go to Chicago. Ooh, Chicago, <laughs> Chicago, that talent town. That's awesome. That's very cool. Yes, stepping out of that comfort zone, uh, regionally speaking, because geography carries culture and people and history. That's a great idea. That's an excellent idea. And I will tell you, friends, as I always do, that you find what you're looking for. So look for that top shelf blue label goodness. Look for that lost present at the back of the Christmas tree. Look for the fabulosity in the world. And friends, if you look for it, no matter what's going on around you, if you look for it, you will find it. I promise you. We will see you in 14 days, just two weeks. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.